The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. I had just arrived in London at 18 and spotted this movie marquee, Meetings with Remarkable Men. The film was about the philosopher Gurdjieff, but it was the title that spoke to me. I wanted to know people like that, people changing the world by the way they lived. I've sought them out ever since, and now we'll hear from many of them on the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. Welcome to the podcast. Your host, Victoria Moran, author of Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan, invites you to conversations designed to help you thrive in your body, cozy up to your soul, and use your unique gifts to change the world. Now, here's Victoria. Everybody really just wants to be the best person they can be. I mean, we want to do good and we don't want to do anything nasty to people. And if we end up doing something that we're not proud of, we kind of like to make a note at night to maybe make up for it the next day. But what about what we're wearing? Hmm. Not something most people think about most of the time, but we're going to think about it today. Hello, I am Victoria Moran, and I'm so happy that you have chosen to be part of our podcast today. And we're going to talk about clothing, nice clothing, and kind clothing. My guest is Ashley Byrne. She is a director for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and she's been interviewed about her work to promote animal rights by the LA Times, Miami Herald, New York Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, among others. She has overseen several successful PETA campaigns, including some of the most provocative. Oh, my goodness, I want to ask about that. And Ashley will travel anywhere in the world and do whatever it takes to help stop cruelty to animals. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much, Victoria. It is just such an honor to be here talking to you. Well, it's really, really fun for me, too. And I just think PETA is about the best organization that's ever happened in the world. And I'm just so grateful that it exists and that you guys are are doing what you do. So within all of that, and we'll get into all of that, we'll get into you and your backstory and why you're remarkable. But you've got a project called It's Time to Dress Vegan. Now, tell us about that. Yes. You know, as you mentioned in your intro, um, you know, I think that clothing is not always the first thing that comes to mind when people are thinking about how they can lead a, a vegan lifestyle, but it's actually such an important part of being kind to animals because, um, you know, 
unfortunately, so many things, whether you're talking about the ones that spring to mind right away, you know, so, so many um, parts of people's wardrobes, like, you know, yes, fur and leather, but also wool and down and cashmere and mohair come from animals who um, are raised and killed in ways that are just as devastatingly cruel as you know as what you're seeing in the meat industry or the dairy industry so um you know a vegan closet is an important part of being kind to animals um and actually you know of of having an eco-friendly wardrobe and that's such a controversial thing because people are still stuck back in the day when the only kind of non-leather was PVC, which had environmental problems. It also had problems for your feet. But, you know, you were trying to be cruel. <laughs> At a point in time, that was what there was. But it is a new era. And now we can be eco-friendly and cruelty-free. So why don't we start there? Let's start with leather, faux leather, vegan leather. I always love it when they call it vegan leather. I so what's too. going on with shoes and pants and jackets and all that leather stuff? You know, we have come so far um, from, you know, as you said, the the kind of old uh, fake leather, which still it, it still it was a, is a better choice than than animal leather because um, you know not only is it is it not made of animal skin, but it's actually even though it's not the best you know the best choice for the environment, it's still better than leather, which so many people don't realize. It's marketed as being natural, but it's it is just, you know, it would rot off the hanger in your closet if it wasn't preserved in a toxic soup of chemicals. Um, and, you know, of course, it involves all the environmental horrors and cruelty of factory farming. But vegan leather just keeps getting better and more eco-friendly. And so now we're seeing vegan leather made from uh, things like pineapple and mushroom and um, you know, we're seeing it, uh, we're seeing people figure out how to grow it in laboratories. Um, we actually have um, recently seen vegan leather that is biodegradable, um, you know, starting to hit the market. I mean, vegan leather just keeps getting better. It keeps getting, um, you know, the quality is gorgeous and it just, you know, keeps getting more eco-friendly. Um, and that's one of the great things about vegan materials. I always say, you know, with these materials that come from animals, um, they're dirty and cruel and they always will be, but the vegan materials just keep getting better and more innovative. And softer and nicer. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I have, I mean, just as one example, um, the brand uh, Brave Gentleman by Joshua Catcher, um, which is not just for <laughs> gentlemen, it's for everybody. Um, he, he uses just some of the most amazing, um, you know, new types of vegan leather, you know, in, including some of this biodegradable leather. And I have, um, I have a vegan suede bag by Brave Gentleman that I've had for years now. And no one, no one can tell. Everywhere I go, I get compliments on this bag from everyone and people have no idea that it's vegan. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's durable, it's gorgeous, it's soft. This is something that I think I think 20 years ago, people would not have believed that something like this could exist. But, you know, the vegan materials 
just keep getting better. And the demand for vegan fashion is, is just helping to drive that. And I would like to do a shout out for Joshua Catcher, for anybody who is not familiar with bravegentleman.com and all of the other amazing things Joshua does, his wonderful book, Fashion Animals. Because when you were talking about the lack of eco-friendliness of leather, I'm thinking of something that he always shares with the students at Main Street Vegan Academy. We're so grateful and honored to have him on our faculty. And he shows this picture of little boys in a tannery in India where they are standing in these caustic materials. And this process for people who work in the leather industry throughout that whole region causes a high percentage of the population to lose great blotches of pigment of the, of their skin and it looks like they all have vitiligo but it's not it's it's a condition caused by these poisons and the old thing about oh you guys only care about animals you don't care about people we care about all animals human animals included and unless you've got somebody like Joshua to educate you about what goes on it's certainly not something that the industry is going to get out into the public I am so glad that you brought that up because you're right. That is, that is it's such an important point and we don't hear it enough. The fact that I think the animal rights issues behind, you know, something like leather, that that's obvious, but there are human rights issues at stake too, labor rights issues, children's rights. There's so much exploitation that goes on um, in, in the leather industry, in all of these industries that use animals. And, and you know, that's the part of it that we don't hear about enough. Yeah, it's so true. And there doesn't seem to be a way to exploit somebody without exploiting everybody. And I think once we get this, and a lot of people do, I mean, so many people have, have gone vegan or they're in the process of, of going fully vegan, clothes and entertainment and food and, and the whole shebang. It's starting to get out there and we're beginning to, to get the whole picture that we're just never going to have anything related to peace on earth unless we start living peacefully at meal time and getting dressed time. Yes. So in addition to leather, now let's just do fur because it's still out there and it's so funny in some ways, like a word association, if somebody says fur, well, of course, the first thing I think of is horrible cruelty. But then I think my grandmother, and I think of old movies, and I think of women in the 1940s draped in fox stoles with the heads attached. But right. sometimes I think of, oh, my gosh, this thing I just saw that they were having some kind of pop up in Brooklyn, and there was all this fur. So what's the status of fur in the world? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I think I think when we talk about fur right now, you know, it, it, we need to say that there is so much good news there because the fur industry has just been in a free fall for years. Um, I think fur, for so many people, fur is one of the, the first animal rights issues that they ever really hear about or understand. I think that was probably the case for me. Um, and fur is something, um, as you say, it, it is still around, but I think the, the, 
the information about the cruelty of the fur industry and these horrific investigations that have documented, um, you know, animals on fur farms just just going insane from confinement in in little cages and being electrocuted, you know, and skinned alive or or trapped in the wild and bludgeoned to death. People started to finally connect these images, you know, so closely with the fur industry that it really has um, just, it, it, I mean, I'd say it's frowned upon by most people now. And we've seen hundreds of designers and retailers um, banning fur from their lines, whether you're talking about, you know, Gucci and Prada and Versace, um, or, you know, or again, any of the many retailers that, that dropped for, um, years ago. Um, but that said, there is some of that out there. There still are some brands that are putting fur trim on, on the hoods of coats. Um, even, <laughs> even though, you know, Canada Goose, of course, has stopped and, Montclair has stopped and, um, you know, a, a lot of these brands that were known for that have stopped and these were big victories for the animal rights movement. Um, but there is still some of it out there. And I think um, one example is Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton is still is still using fur and um, there's a very active campaign pushing them to drop it. And I absolutely think they will eventually. Um, but um, as, as long as it's out there, we do need to keep talking about it. And activists do need to keep, um, you know, pushing the issue. But I really do think that um, we're, it's on its last gasp. Because Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that is really good news. So now let's move into one, Ashley, that most people don't understand. And I will say that for me, it was the very last thing that I got rid of as a vegan, and that's wool. Tell us what the problem is and what we should do about it. Well, you know, I think we've all seen these images that the wool industry puts out there of sheep just kind of roaming in a, in a pasture and <laughs> everything looks so beautiful and natural and peaceful. And it's very easy to think, okay, well, you know, this can't be that bad. The truth is that life for sheep in the wool industry is torture. And you know, PETA has done more than a dozen exposés of more than 100 wool operations on four continents. So we've really been very, very thorough with our investigations of this industry. Every time our investigators found the same kind of sadistic violence, we found uh, sheep being kicked, beaten in the face, thrown, stomped on, and cut to pieces when they're during the shearing process. Um, first of all, because they were usually very frightened, and um, because shearers are paid by the pound, so they're in a rush. And, uh, you know, so that is just a, a violent process. Um, that is, you know, nothing like this idyllic image that we're given. And then, People don't think about the fact, you know, what happens when sheep get older, when they stop producing enough wool? Well, the answer is that they're killed. And a lot of them are killed um, by, you know, they endure something called live export, where they're crowded onto giant ships, just, you know, just crowded, no room to turn around or move, and taken through all weather extremes, the worst heat um, without 
food, without water, they're getting sick, they're, they have no vet care, some of them are dying and they're crowded in there with the other sheep, all just to be taken to another country and killed. So um, this is all st just standard practice in the wool industry. Um, and I can tell you that even on sustainable or responsible farms, because those labels really mean nothing, we have found sheep being beaten, wounded. We're their throats are slit when they're when they're killed. Um, I mean, it, it is it is terrible suffering, and and the wool industry is actually toxic for the environment, just like all animal materials are are you know are toxic for the environment because raising and killing animals um, is it, it requires tons of resources, and you know it just it it involves all the again those those things we hear about with factory farming like um you know water and air pollution and um you know it, it's just it is a toxic and violent process um from from start to finish really and um it's so important that we talk about it because i think you're right that it is um it is still a secret to so many people it it is indeed and then there's a secret within a secret because when I said that the last thing to go for me as a vegan was the wool, the sweaters and the coats and all that went before the rugs and, and the carpeting and that kind of thing that a lot of people don't even think about. And I do want to call people's attention to that and the animal products that are used in our homes. I, I had a guest, Deborah DeMar, who's a, a vegan interior designer. And if you go to her website, demardesign.com, D-I-M-A-R-E, design, she has a lot of terrific information, including places that you can find wonderful rugs and other kinds of replacements that are very affordable. And, you know, every time, you know, to this day, I look down at the rugs and I'm just so happy, you know, to know what they are and, and that nobody had to suffer for me to be able to walk on a floor. You're so right. And it, again, like you said, it's one of those things that um, you're just, people just aren't used to thinking about it. I mean, it, it's, it's, like you said, it's literally, it's, it's the ground under your feet. You're not thinking about it, but um, but it is, it, it is an important part of all of this. PETA actually has um, guides to vegan interior design on our website as well. And um, and the great news is that the resources are out there for people, whether you're talking about rugs, furniture, um, you know, people just have so many choices now um, and, um, and, and also resources to help guide them to those choices. So, mm. you know, that, that's the great news. <laughs> Well, you know, and it adds another dimension to shopping. I, I know that we're all trying to be more eco-friendly and not doing so much acquiring. And yet there is this lovely little uplift when something new comes into your life, whether it's a piece of, of clothing or, or something else. And to know that no one suffered it just means so much. And again, as you talked about Joshua Catcher, one of the things that he always says is for most of your wardrobe, it can be secondhand. And then you get a few of these exquisite vegan pieces that will last forever, like your Brave Gentleman bag. And that just 
I don't know. To me, as someone who always loved fashion, I thought I was going to go into the fashion business as a young person. It's just a happy maker. The idea that, you know, I can do this, I can have this lovely thing. And it not only didn't harm anybody, but if I'm buying it from a vegan company, it actually helps. It's actually keeping the good coming around and going around. So Ashley, cashmere is something that we think of like wool, but it's a little bit of a different process. Can you tell us about that one? Yes, um, absolutely. And and cashmere, you know, here's another product that is really um, associated with luxury. People, you know, people think of it as being something beautiful and luxurious. And then if you peek behind the scenes, it could that could not be further from the reality. Um, a PETA investigation into the cashmere industry revealed goats screaming in terror, being pinned down by workers um, who would pull the hair out of their skin with sharp metal combs. And, and some brands actually will label this cruelty-free. Uh, uh, when, when cashmere is made of goat hair that's obtained this way, I mean, uh, literally ripping the hair out of their skin. Um, in this investigation, goats were left with uh, bloody skin from this process, and they didn't receive any pain relief or veterinary care. Um, and again, it's just when you think about the fact that this is being put out there as, you know, as a luxury product, and really, then you trace it back to the source, and it is just cruel and bloody and violent. Um, you know, that that's another one where, um, you know, the 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 reality versus the image is just so it, it's such a stark difference. It is so true. And what we think of or what we used to think of as luxury, I mean, it's just such a very, very, very different thing. I think it's a great privilege to know the history of, of things that we want to have as part of our lives. I mean, you're, you're not as intimately related to your clothing as you are to your food, but it's interesting that how other people see you is actually more related to your clothing. And so to go out there in the world looking like yourself, you know, some people want to be all duded up and <laughs> some people just want to be casual and whatever they want to be. But to go out as yourself, feeling good about how you look and knowing that nobody suffered, it's just a great feeling. So let's get through a couple more and then we'll start talking about Ashley Byrne and how you got to do this incredible work that you do. So down. That's in those puffy coats that keep people warm in the winter. What's that, the problem there? You know, that's, and that's probably a, a good one for us to talk about because, you know, we're here in February <laughs> um, in New York and people are wearing their, their puffy coats. Um, you know, this is another product that I think kind of sneaks up on people sometimes, you know, they, people don't always think about what's inside their coats, but investigations time and time again have shown that down comes from birds who are plucked alive for their feathers. Um, and, and again, these, this, a lot of the time is from brands uh, with so-called industry standards um, claiming that the 
birds are treated humanely. Um, and even, you know, even if they are not being live plucked, which again, so often they are, I mean, workers holding birds down, ripping out fistfuls of their feathers, you know, creating bloody wounds, just not treating them, letting them go like that. But even when that's not the case, if down is coming, um, if the feathers are coming from birds who are already dead, um, these birds are still, they endure all the horrors of factory farming, and then they have their throats slashed, um, which is a miserable, terrifying death. Um, and I think it's important to note that Sometimes you'll see something called the responsible down standard. And, you know, of course, that was put out there when the industry began to realize that some of their nasty secrets were getting out. Um, it's that is intentionally misleading. Um, it's a total sham that really we have, you know, we have found that it really means nothing. Um, those birds suffer just like all birds suffer when they're used for down uh, because, you know, it comes from birds who live in miserable conditions and die of grisly deaths. But the great news is down alternatives are plentiful and a lot of brands are using them now. Um, a lot of brands are actually using a filling that comes from recycled plastic bottles, which, I mean, it's high tech. It's obviously better for the environment. Um, it's extremely warm and I've been seeing that everywhere. Um, so that's a great down alternative. Um, and we've also seen vegan down recently made from flowers, tree fibers, bamboo, milkweed. Um, you know, we we have fantastic options and, um, you know, they don't have to involve hurting any animals. Well, the innovation is amazing and they're so warm. I have one of these alternative down coats from a company called Hood Lamb and I never really knew until I got that coat what it was like to be warm in the winter. <laughs> so it's, I know what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> we, we're very lucky. It's a good time in many ways to be alive. Now, how about feathers? Down are like the little bitty baby feathers, but there are regular feathers in pillows and other things. What do we do about those? Well, you know, those also um, are a product of extreme cruelty. I mean, really, anytime you're seeing bits and pieces of an animal used in fashion, it's it's pretty much a guarantee that that animal has suffered um, in in many ways. Um, you know, whether you're talking about the way they were raised or the way they were killed. And so, when it comes to feathers, you know, there are different kinds of feathers from different kinds of birds, but you know, you, they can all be traced back to um, terrible cruelty and violence and exploitation. I mean. We have exposed cruelty in um, the ostrich industry um, and, and to peacocks and, you know, just, just to um, all these different birds whose feathers are used. Um, and it's extremely, I mean, whether you're talking about their feathers being plucked out while they're still alive or whether you're talking about these birds being, um, you know, raised in, in filthy and, and inadequate and barren conditions and then slaughtered violently, um, they suffer and they suffer, you know, for these products that no one needs. Exactly. Um, it, it's, you know, you can have luxurious, durable, beautiful clothing without harming a single animal. So and, true. Yeah. 
And it's interesting how far back some of this goes, that the animal welfare movement, many people date to the founding of the Audubon Society back in, in, I think it was the 1800s or the early 1900s, because of the, the feathers. At that time, people had lots of feathers in their hats and species were going extinct. And people started noticing. And uh, now there are people like PETA and Ashley Byrne, and they're noticing <laughs> quite a bit. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think um, one thing that I, I, I mean, I appreciate so many things about working at PETA, but, um, but one of the many things is um, the um, pioneering work that PETA has done to, um, you know, to expose cruelty to animals in, you know, behind the scenes in the fashion industry. Um, it's so important. And it's so it's, it's, you know, it's so it's big, it's widespread, it's not something, you know, small or frivolous by any means. Um, and so, you know, I, I really, um, it's, it's wonderful that, um, that, vegan food has become as popular and as big of a topic as it is. Um, but, you know, I think that vegan fashion is catching up and I'm so glad because it's just, you know, it's truly important and um, people can um, prevent a lot of suffering and uh, also, you know, really make a difference for the environment by choosing a vegan wardrobe. So for people that are a little bit intimidated at the thought, like, where do I go? What do I put in on Google when I'm looking for these kinds of uh, clothing items? Well, everyone can go to PETA.org for information about um, shopping for vegan clothing. Um, we have free shopping guides for clothing and accessories and really for anything. You know, the <laughs> PETA's website is such an amazing resource um, for anyone who is looking um, for more information on, on how to do anything in their life and in a way that's cruelty-free. I mean, we also have shopping guides for vegan food and cosmetics and health, household supplies and just, you know, everything. Um, but yes, there's tons of information um, on PETA's website about cruelty-free um, clothing. And, you know, I think it's really helpful um, for anyone who is kind of new to this issue, but, but you know, wants to do better. I mean, you know, e even just the guide to reading labels is so helpful because, you know, once you just know these things to look out for, it actually becomes pretty simple. Right. And there's the PETA approved vegan label as well. So people can look for that. Yes. And that is just a, a wonderful resource. Um, and people can learn more about that on our website. But we have PETA approved vegan labels and tags that people can look for. And we have a list of companies who we work with that just keeps growing. Um, it's always exciting. For, I love getting the updates about our PETA approved um vegan companies because you just start to realize how many brands out there are making gorgeous uh, vegan clothing and accessories, handbags, coats. I mean, um, the options just keep growing and they 
just keep getting more beautiful. So Aww. yeah, it's, it's really, it's exciting. It's always, you know, I know I get little updates, you know, email updates about it. Um, and, you know, and I know that people who subscribe to PETA's newsletters can get these updates and it's just fun. It's like you said, it's always kind of a boost to, um, if you're someone who cares about these issues to, to get this news about, um, just it's good news about the good things that people are doing to to help move us forward right um, yeah that that is uh, good news in more ways than one so let's talk a little bit about the making of an animal rights activist so take us back to the beginning were you a little kid who loved animals extra Oh yes, <laughs> um, I I grew up, you know, in a house with cats and dogs, and um, and you know they were just beloved members of the family. Um, and my mom especially, you know, influenced me because she's always just been a, a huge animal lover. Um, and and not you know not just someone who loved animals, but also who respected them a lot and and taught me to respect them. So. Um, yeah, so just, I, I would say I've never met an animal I didn't love. <laughs> um, and then, um, when I got to, and, you know, I think when I, when I realized that, that meat came from animals, <laughs> I think I always kind of used to say, all right, well, some, someday I'm not going to eat this anymore. Um, but, you know when I was in like, let's say junior high, I'd say, oh, oh well, I'm, I'm going to stop eating meat. And then I would just forget. I would go to McDonald's with my friends and I, it would just, it just wouldn't even be a thought that I, that I was ordering chicken nuggets and they were made of animals. You know, I would just seriously forget to, to stop eating animals. Um, but that all changed when I was in high school. Um, I think I was, um, you know, in 11th grade. And I, um, my boyfriend at the time and I snuck into a showing of what ended up being, um, it was a terrible, gruesome film called Faces of Death. Um, I don't know why I was even there in the first place, because I hated every minute of it. But they had, um, among other things, it showed scenes of slaughterhouses, which was just horrible to me. And then after that, um, there was a scene where a woman in another country was um, killing puppies. And I mean, it showed her butchering these puppies in her kitchen and, and then cooking them. And then it showed her, her and her family eating them, like eating a meal with dog meat and um I honestly don't know if I had ever felt that kind of devastation in my life at that point um as as when I I mean just the idea that anyone could do something so cruel because you know my again I my dogs were were close members of my family and I I knew <laughs> I knew that they had emotions and that they felt love and fear and pain you know I I just I knew and so seeing this happen, I mean, it was, it just destroyed me in a way that I can't even describe. But the thing is, then the narrator said, you know, this might be shocking to people in, um, you know, in countries where it's not common to eat dogs, but in the country where this took place, this is 
just as culturally accepted as it would be to eat a chicken or a pig or a cow or a fish um, in, you know, in the United States or, or um, in the UK. And, um, and he said, you know, and really there actually is no scientific reason for that. There's no, you know, there's no scientific reason why it would be wrong to eat a dog, but right to eat a pig. It's all cultural. It's all. And the thing is, I couldn't deny, I, I couldn't argue with that. But I also knew that I couldn't accept that it was okay to, um, to kill a dog with a knife and eat them. And so I realized that I just, if I, if I couldn't live with that, then I just couldn't eat animals anymore. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. What was it like when, when you were young, when, when you stopped eating animals and, you know, in 11th grade. And I think that one of the reasons that people cling to old habits is because when we change, we become somebody different and that's, that's hard to accommodate. You know, it changes maybe who you're going to date or how you relate to your mom when she says, but you always love my roast beef. So what was it like for you making that change as a very young person? You know, um, that's a really good way to put it. Yes. You know, a decision like that does can, you know, it does change who you are. And um, I was very lucky because um, even though this was more than 20 years ago, it was the 90s. And, you know, the word vegan, well, yeah, I, I went vegetarian for a year and then vegan. And the word vegan was most people just didn't even know what that was. Um, and it was just we did not have the the resources, the information we have now. I mean, it was a very different world and a different time. But I was fortunate to have an extremely supportive family you know, um, who, when I explained my reasoning, they were absolutely respectful. My mom actually, um, you know, had been vegetarian in the past and, and still leaned in that direction a lot of the time and, um, had, um, given the John Robbins book diet for a new America to everyone she knew when it, when it first came out. So, um, and, and my dad actually, um, who, um, was he was living in London at the time and I would go out there and spend summers with him and he would um you know he would do a lot of cooking and he was always a big um like red meat steak <laughs> pot roast kind of guy um but you know even with him um he w- when I when I explained what was behind it he was he respected it and he um he just he was supportive he figured bought a vegetarian cookbook and started you know figuring out where to buy uh 
you know, veggie sausages. And, huh. and the UK was a little ahead of us at that time um, in terms of, of some of their products and availability of, of um, vegetarian food, I think. So, um, yeah, so I was lucky. I mean, and, you know, I think the rest of the world was, you know, not so caught up at that point and maybe not as open-minded as my parents, <laughs> um, but I managed. I mean, to me, this was something that it was like once once that door had been opened, you couldn't close it. I couldn't go back. I couldn't unsee or unknow any of this. And so even when it was challenging, I just, there was no going back from it. And so I figured out how to do it. I figured out how to travel and, um, you know, and be a vegan. And I figured out, uh, you know, how to shop for shoes before, you know, before people were really shopping by just Googling vegan shoes. I mean, <laughs> um, I'd say vegan before, um, you know, before the internet had as many resources as it does now was was probably a lot more challenging. But um, it, it was just, um, it, it just it, once I knew I couldn't stop. Exactly. And once you're doing this, it's just, it's just what you do. It, it's people say, well, is it hard? And it's like, no, <laughs> but you know, you do it a, a day at a time and it's just, you know, this is life and you know, you might go somewhere and they yesterday had vegan muffins and today they don't, but at least they have the non-dairy milk for your latte and you can get a bigger one because you don't get a muffin to get today. <laughs> Small price to pay for exactly. We're living in a way that is is making the world um, kinder and, and sustainable. So, Ashley, just as we wind down here, talk a little bit about PETA, because PETA is kind of controversial. Sometimes you say PETA and you get a different sort of response from different people. So I'm a huge fan and, uh, you know, you're right in it. So tell us about uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Well, um, first of all, thank you. And we, we're huge fans of yours. So thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's always so funny to me when people do have that, um, that knee jerk negative reaction to PETA. And I would say usually the, the reaction is it's, it's positive far more often than it's negative in my experience. But, um, you know, I think we are controversial because um because we are are so truthful you know <laughs> i think we i think we talk about things that are hard for people to hear and i think we put uncomfortable truths out there and and the thing is we um we stick to our principles and a lot of the time when people start hearing about things that might require them to change they kind of start looking for a loophole and they're like, well, it's okay. It's okay. If this, or if that, or I, you know, and the fact is we, I think we boil things down to something that's so simple, but so true that, you know, it really kind of, um, it, it, it takes away the excuses. I mean, we, you know, we just say animals are not here for us. Um, they're, they're not, they, they have their own, um, thoughts and feelings and, they're here for their own purpose. They're not here for, for us to use. Um, and, um, and they 
feel fear, they feel pain, they have the capacity to suffer. And that's all, that's all that matters. At the end of the day, you know, we, you know, you people kind of toss all these things out there, like, well, how smart are they? Or, are you know, no, I mean, really, at the end of the day, if they can suffer, we need to uh, make sure that we're not participating in causing them to suffer. Um, you know, and because we really don't need to. But but so I think that um, I think when you do, um, when people do have a negative reaction, I think it comes from a place of being defensive. And one thing that's always been very interesting to me is that so often the people who are most defensive are the people who it's because something something in there is telling them that, you know, now actually, actually, you know, this is right. Actually, animals, you know, actually, PETA's right about animals. And I think that, you know, very often the people who have the most knee-jerk reaction are kind of on the verge of, of actually admitting that, you know, um, that that what we're saying is right and that they don't need to be harming animals. And then the other thing is, you know, I think it's like we um, we stick to our principles, but we're also very pragmatic and practical in the way that we talk. And so very often people want to say, oh, but if you're on a desert island and you're in a boat in the middle of the ocean and this and that, and we're just, we bring it back to, okay, but but you're not, <laughs> you know, your, your chances are you're living, um, you know, within driving or walking distance of a grocery store where you have access to, um, you know, just an unimaginable amount of um, vegan food, of food that is not causing animals, um, you know, to suffer on factory farms and slaughterhouses. Um, you're not on a desert island. So you have these options at your fingertips every day. And, and so we're not asking you to decide what you would do if you were, you know, on a boat in the middle of the ocean with, you know, what do they always say, a puppy and a baby, that that's not what we're asking you to decide. We're just asking you, okay, well, you know, when you're at a restaurant and you're looking at a menu filled with options, order the veggie burger instead of the chicken. Um, and again, so I think, um, I think it can make people a little defensive, but a lot of times those defensive people a year later, um, come around and they, you know, they say, well, yeah, you know, you're actually, you were right. Uh, so I, I, I try not to, um, I try not to let it get to me or to take it personally when people are defensive. I try to have a little patience and, and think, okay, well, this is someone who they can come around. Uh, well, that was, that was a beautiful explanation. And uh, the Facebook page for PETA, facebook.com slash official you can just Google PETA. There are probably about a million ways to get there because they're doing a million amazing things every day. Now, in terms of your social media, Ashley, hmm, Ash loves Mongo. Who's Mongo? <laughs> so Mongo um, was my just beloved soulmate dog. Uh, he passed away several years ago. And now I have another just beloved angel dog who I love so much named Pogue. But uh, but I left I left the social media handle as Ash Loves Mongo because, you know, I'll always love him. Uh, <laughs> that's that's so sweet. Yeah, we, we lost my soul dog last summer, Forbes. And now we have little Rupert who comes from hoarding. And oh. so it's taken him a while to, 
to just things like know what to do with a toy and just these basic things that one thinks, oh, well, that's what dogs do. Well, no, that's what dogs do who had people <laughs> around to love them early on. So we're just loving him up now. So Ashley, thank you so, so very much for all that you do and certainly for all that PETA does. And um, next time I get dressed up all fancy in my vegan stuff, I'm going to think about you in this interview. Victoria, thank you so much. Um, it was just, it was so wonderful talking to you. And thank you so much for everything that you are doing. Um, and, you know, um, and thanks for having this conversation because um, you know, I really do think, as you've said a couple of times, um, that it's actually just such a joy to um, to choose these products, these, you know, choose clothing and to know that you're doing the right thing and that you're helping instead of hurting. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's something nice to have in the back of your head as you're getting dressed every day. And, um, you know, I think we help animals in the earth by by doing this, but we help ourselves, so... Yeah. because we're all connected <laughs> exactly yeah uh, well thank you thank you ashley thank you listeners um so let's dress kindly and then go out and be remarkable bye everybody we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can learn more about victoria or contact her at victoriamoran.com be part of her inner circle by joining the Victoria Moran Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. And if you're a vegan looking to up your game, check out Victoria's acclaimed training and certification program, Main Street Vegan Academy, at MainStreetVegan.com. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast. And I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.